I like words. I like imagery and metaphor. I like alliteration, assonance, and even dissonance. I like meter. I like the discipline of poetic form, and I like the freedom of free verse. I like the ending of a sonnet. I like the intimacy of poetry and music. And I like it when even in everyday speech, we sometimes hear poetry. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Those words from Shakespeare from 400 years ago sound very formal to our modern ears, but to me, they still carry an appealing eloquence, completely unlike the distinct cadences of the rhyming, in-your-face words of hip-hop singers. Hip-hop has been likened to spitting bullets, but whatever you may think of rap and hip-hop lyrics, the professor and linguist John McWhorter claims that hip-hop has actually revived interest in poetry by taking it out of living rooms and academic circles and bringing poetry back to popular culture. Maybe so. My poetry tastes were formed by many of the 20th century poets. And I, I want to say right up front, my familiarity is mostly with poets writing in English. I'm drawn to the sometimes cerebral and usually less performative poetry that I first read in my Norton anthology of poetry. And I bet there are people out there that know exactly what that is and may even have a copy on their bookshelves. I'm still a very big fan of Robert Frost, who could soothe you with quiet cadences. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. But don't be fooled. Robert Frost was a complicated man and much more than the New England nature poet persona might suggest. Robert Frost once wrote, poetry is a way of taking life by the throat. We've of course seen huge changes in the language style and the subject material of, of poetry over the four plus centuries since those Shakespearean sonics, sonnets. That's no surprise at all, but I still think that the, the sheer variety and scope of all that we consider poetry over that time is pretty remarkable. Just in the last century of American poetry, We've gone from Frost, and Stopping by Woods was actually written a hundred years ago, or was published a hundred years ago this year. From Robert Frost to Langston Hughes to Allen Ginsberg, the beat poet who, who was made famous by the poem Howl, to the wry Billy Collins, and to Amanda Gorman, who you just heard uh, a sample of from John. Robert Frost was the first poet to speak at a presidential inauguration. Since then, we've had uh, five or six others. Um, most recently, um, Amanda Gorman and then Richard Blanco uh, uh, prior to Amanda Gorman. I really admire the poets who can paint you a picture with their words. 
and I admire poets who can talk about one thing while they're really pointing at something very different. And then there are the poets who draw you in and startle you with their direct language. Listen to the challenge that the poet Sharon Olds throws down in her poem, The Language of the Brag, in which she talks about giving birth. I have lain down and sweated and shaken and passed blood and feces and water and slowly alone in the center of a circle, I have passed the new person out and they have lifted the new person free of the act and wiped the new person free of that language of blood like praise all over the body. I have done what you wanted to do, Walt Whitman, Allen Ginsberg. I have done this thing. I and the other women, this exceptional act with the exceptional heroic body, this giving birth, this glistening verb, and I am putting my proud American boast right here with the others. I can almost hear that feminist poem from the 1980s as a, as a rap lyric today. I have done what you wanted to do, Walt Whitman. <laughs> but even so, her boast doesn't make me admire any less the words of Walt Whitman in works like Song of Myself or his elegy to Abraham Lincoln, O Captain, my Captain. Maybe because I don't write poetry for a, a living, maybe because I'm a man, maybe because I'm Caucasian, all those things. I don't think of poetry as an endless contest to be heard. I think of poetry more like the way I think of history, something that builds up in layers over time. Sometimes poetry echoes what came before it and adds to it. Sometimes it reacts strongly against it, what came before. But always there is something that came before. I chose to read Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas because um, it's a well-known and it's a powerful poem and it also illustrates how poetic form can add to a poem's impact. It's written as a villanelle and you know, if you don't know what a villanelle is, I didn't either until I took some poetry class. It doesn't matter. It has, it has 19 lines, five stanzas, and in, uh, two of the lines are repeated at the end of stanzas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Those two lines, do not go gentle and rage, rage rage are repeated at the ends of alternate stanzas and they give it a musicality. It's a very serious poem that only becomes personal in the last stanza where he talks about his father. Much of its power, I think, comes from the structure both of the repeating lines and the repeating sounds in the, in the poem. So for all the poets and the would-be poets out there, and I'm including myself in that, don't give up on form and structure. Since we are in church, I want to mention poetry as solace and poetry as worship, both of which are important to me. 
In our Unitarian Universalist tradition, we often find deep connections and comfort in nature. Poets like Mary Oliver and Wendell Berry are often quoted in our hymnal and our other sources. Wendell Berry is both a farmer and a poet, and he has a deep-rooted appreciation for the earth and for nature and for wildness. Bruce read, read one of his poems at our choir rehearsal a few weeks ago. Here's another Wendell Berry poem entitled The Wild Geese, which is a poem both of comfort and worship. Horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over, we taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over the fall fields, we name names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them in their way, clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. And in a different poem, Wendell Berry says, there will be a resurrection of the wild. Already it stands in wait at the pasture fences. That's reminiscent of Robert Frost's line, something there is that doesn't love a wall, but phrased in more religious, prophetic language, a resurrection of, a, of the wild. That idea of a return of the wild uh, is, is something that many UUs think about. We tend to gloss over what resurrecting the wild means for a planet with almost 8 billion people. How do we square that, that need for, the, the planet's need for wildness with our principle of the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings? Hard question that we will face in the coming years. But I want to end this reflection with another reminder that poetry can be humorous. One of our living poets and former poet laureate um, is Billy Collins, who is a very keen observer, somewhat snarky at times. Here are some excerpted lines from his poem entitled, The Trouble with Poetry. The trouble with poetry, I realized, as I walked along a beach one night, cold Florida sand under my bare feet, a show of stars in the sky. The trouble with poetry is that it encourages the writing of more poetry. <laughs> and how will it ever end? Poetry fills me with joy, and I rise like a feather in the wind. Poetry fills me with sorrow, and I sink like a chain flung from a bridge. But mostly, 
Poetry fills me with the urge to write poetry, to sit in the dark and wait for a little flame to appear at the tip of my pencil. And along with that, the longing to steal, to break into the poems of others with a flashlight and a ski mask. Will I compare your poetry to a summer's day, Billy Collins? No, I will not. But his poetry is still refreshing. And I like it that Billy Collins, a former poet laureate, is willing to make fun of himself as well as of his profession. There are just so many great poems that Brian and I and John could read today. And I know that I could easily have found 10 other people in this congregation who like poetry, who write poetry, and together we could have filled more than three services with our favorite poems. Sometimes poetry is something that seems to come so naturally and easily to us that it's almost like chatter in our minds, simple and ongoing. And sometimes it comes from the same deep and creative place in us that music comes from. And then there are those special times, and I think the anthem that you heard from the choir this morning is one of those, The Road Not Taken. Those special times when the poem and the song become almost the same thing. Morning, I'm Brian Weller. <clears throat> Richard has wisely suggested that we give a little comment about each poet we're going to read tonight. And my first one is the opening, the chalice, uh, chalice lighting by a poet named Toy Derricott. Um, that's Toy and that's me. And the reason I'm in that picture is before I came to California, Toy and I were partners for 10 years. Toy was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, has five books of poetry, and is noted because 25 years ago, co-founded a group called Cave Conum, which is the home for black American poets, which at that time was a group totally unrepresented in the poetry world, and that's no longer true. The poem is called Books. If you have a candle at home, whether you're in California or Minnesota, please light one with us while we do this poem. Books. Today, Garcia Lorca and Ezra Pound fell off my shelf. They lay there on the floor like a couple of drunks. How humble are the lives of books. How small their expectations. They wait quietly, pressed together, to be called into the light. When you open them, they tell you everything they know. They exhaust you, like convicts or madmen, too eager to talk. May this flame brighten our day, open our hearts, to poetry.
Twas brillig in the slithy toes did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the barogoves and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tolgy wood and burbled as it came. That's the jabberwock and there's the boys about to confront him. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the barogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. Good morning. Most of you will recognize the language I'm about to read from Amanda Gorman as the poem that she read at Biden's inauguration. In the interest of time, I'll just jump right into the middle and read the, to the end uh, of the poem. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our interaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens but one thing is certain, if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. With every breath from our bronze pounded chests, we will raise the wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the windswept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover. In every nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people, diverse and dutiful, will emerge. Battered, but beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there's always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it.
a very famous poem by Robert Frost, uh, and still one of my favorite poems, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. A local amateur. The title is San Mateo Farmer's Market. Sunny summer Saturday amidst colorful clothing array, lining up to pay first the bright fresh bouquet, next the oven fresh baguette, then a carafe of seasoned vinaigrette. We see polite nods and generous smiles while we stroll the aisles, stroll the several aisles, tent after tent, ten after ten. I like that so much, I want to repeat it. Is that poetry? Come on. Ten after ten, at ten after ten a.m., one orangey, two cheesy, another hineed, and four greenly tents. The beauty the bounty, the richness, the freshness. Yet, four miles away down the hill, the others, the unnoticed, the powerless. The same sunny summer Saturday, but the exhausted and the colorless all lining up to all hoping to get a fresh box of something, trying hard to forget why. I am not a great man. Some say I speak well, clearly, earnestly, perhaps. But I believe that in time of terrible war, even mischosen words can offer hope. I looked out on fields where tens of thousands marched, eyes straight into unpitying fire, leaving once sturdy bodies in blood-wet piles of crooked limbs. From those moaning fields, I gathered a few words 
At first, the words sounded like a parade of ragged death, like hollow lines of corpses stacked one upon another, lifeless lines terminated mercifully by a final period. But with the slowness of unbearable pain, those rigid words, words that I had set together like stones, like raw bones, whispered hoarsely to me. I read, I read the words out loud because it was my duty to speak. And as my lips moved over them, breath emerged. I am not a great man but I give you my words. Do not go gentle into that good night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end know dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a last green bay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late. They grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Brave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. One final poem. This is called Yes by the poet Muriel Rukeyser. It's like a tap dance or a new pink dress, a shit naive feeling saying yes. Some say good morning, some say God bless, some say possibly, some say yes. Some say never, some say unless, it's stupid and lovely to rush into yes. What can it mean? It's just like life, one thing to you, one to your wife. Some go local, some go express. Some can't wait to answer yes. Some complain of strain and stress. The answer may be no for yes. Some like failure, some like success. Some like yes, 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 yes. Open your eyes. Dream, but don't guess. Your biggest surprise comes after yes. <laughs>